My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're continuing our thoughts on transformation, uh, transformational vocabulary. Um, what are, what are the, what's the language of being a disciple? And as we all get to become more familiar with this language, then how does that shape us as people who go out into the corridor and see transformation? And how does this identity shape us? That's what we want to do today. Two short verses today I want you to look at with me from Romans, Romans 8. It's one of the great chapters in the Bible. If you could open up your Bible to that or your phone or your iPad, whatever you've got. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair. Romans 8. Before we hear these great words, I want to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. One of the things I was thinking about this week was if we could put something out on a church sign that, that might actually attract people to church, what kind of thing would we put out there? And so, I, of course, I did some extensive research on Google to come up with some options for you. So do you think this would be a sign that would be likely to attract someone to our... I'm getting the wait sign, Okay. You guys, I wish you all could see what happens up there in the booth while we're scrambling for these things, but what do you think? Attractive? Get somebody to come in? It did make me curious. I have no idea what text this church is going to be looking at that Sunday, but I thought that might maybe draw somebody in. What about this one? Oh, I see. I'm turned off. Okay. Can you go backwards? Maybe the sign should say something like, Pastor fumbles with clicker. Come watch it. Yeah, I wasn't sure this was exactly the right way to try to get somebody to come in. I don't know if you come to church with that in mind or not. I don't know. Uh, At least they were honest about it, I guess. Maybe some of you are thinking that anyway. Okay, and then the next one, um, there we go. What if we put this sign on the, out for everybody to see? Do you think that would be attractive to people? Would they be curious? No, you don't think so. I thought maybe that would at least create a second uh, double take. Somebody would be like, whatever, you what? Come to church, no condemnation, Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11. Be there, right? And then it got me wondering if, It's even possible for a church to exist like this with no condemnation. What if we were the church that look like Romans 8, 1 and 2, if we took that seriously? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set us free. What if that was our church and we lived it out and everybody knew we were living it out? Do you think that would be attractive to people? a place where you could come and have judgment-free zone. 
So a couple of weeks ago, I went to an AA meeting, and it was actually the Friday night meeting that we host right here in our church, and several of our members are part of that, and a couple of people had encouraged me to go. So I went, and this room was packed. It was right in this very room. There was probably 300 people here on a Friday night for an AA meeting. And one of the first things that happened in this meeting was confession. I don't know, some of you maybe have experience with this, but this was all new to me, so I was quite fascinated by what was happening. People all around the room stood up when asked and said things like, my name is Mike and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober for 60 days. Or, my name is Sue and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober for 30 days. Or, my name is Bill or Bob or Betty, and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober for a week. And you know what everybody did after each person introduced themselves? They applauded for them. They cheered them on. And I was fascinated by that. And you know what it made me think? It made me think that we who follow Jesus, who are disciples, who take that seriously, we should be leading the way in creating spaces that are judgment-free, spaces where there's no condemnation. Maybe we should stand up every week and admit our sins. I thought that might be a cool addition to our worship every week. If we just invited you all to stand up where you are and admit something that you've done wrong, what do you think? Some of you are grinning at me. Some of you are horrified. What would that be like if we had regular public confession and then after we made our confession, we got applauded? We got cheered for. Hi, my name is Kent. I'm a sinner. (laughs) Well, I haven't sinned in the last five minutes. (laughs) What if we did that? And I'm not talking about just like, you know, the like acceptable sins like I'm Kent and I'm a gossip, or I sometimes have road rage. or I'm talking about like biblical kind of confessions, like meaty, like Galatians 5 kind of confessions, where we stand up and we say things like, I have impure thoughts. Uh, my life is marked by debauchery. I have idols. I hate my brother. I'm jealous. I'm filled with rage and envy and selfish ambition, and I stir up dissensions and factions. I'm a drunken mess. I fill my heart and mind with filth. What if we stood up and made those kinds of confessions? And what if instead of kind of like recoiling with horror or not being unsure what to do or say when someone made a confession like that, what if we instead applauded them and announced the gospel? Hi, my name is Ken. I'm a sinner. Yeah. Now hear these good news. In Jesus, there is forgiveness and freedom. What if we were that kind of church? I've been thinking about that all week long, and how, if that would even be possible, what it would look like. What if we reacted to our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members who are trapped in sin? What if we reacted to them the same way? What if we were able to have conversations, deep, meaty, important conversations with the people that we care about out in the world who wrestle and struggle and battle sins 
And when they shared their sin, when they made a confession with us, we didn't cut them off or ostracize them or put them down or judge them, but we celebrated with them and said, well, I appreciate you being honest and facing this and naming it. What if we said, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because in Christ Jesus, we have freedom by the Spirit that gives us life. What if we could just announce that every time someone brought a sin up? Now, I know there's some of you out there right now thinking, yeah, but... And I know you're thinking this because that's exactly what I'm thinking as soon as I push this concept too far. Yeah, but doesn't that make us soft on sin? Is that going to make people compromise? Is that going to make us compromise? Is it going to make us just put up with stuff we shouldn't have to put up with? Yeah, but this sounds too good to be true. In Jesus, there's forgiveness and freedom, but is that for everyone? For every sin? Don't we have to draw the line somewhere? So I'm thinking about how important the word freedom is to our identity. And I haven't ever really thought about this as being so central, but as I was dwelling in the Word this week, it just hit me over and over again. If we think God wants to transform the corridor, it's going to have to be with freedom. The kind of freedom that says, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. Because in Christ Jesus, there's freedom by the same Spirit that gives us life. I got another verse that struck me hard this week, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Like, this seems like it's kind of a core piece of our identity, like who we are. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't put yourself back in the cage. Be free, because that's why you were made. That's why Christ came, to set you free. He came to give us freedom from condemnation, freedom from guilt, freedom from judgment. So do you think it is possible for us to be too free with our forgiveness? I have another passage that hit me this week. Jesus was actually talking about this. Can we be too free with our forgiveness? Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven? And Peter is patting himself on the back for that. He's like... Look at me, I'm free with my forgiveness. Seven times I'll forgive you. And Jesus answered him and said, I tell you, no, not seven times, but 77 times. And I'm sure Peter's grabbing his head right there and said, yeah, but I can think of people who cross the line too many times. They don't deserve 77 forgivenesses. That's a little bit too free. I can imagine Peter's thinking that. So Jesus told him a parable. Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants, and so he began his settlement, and a man was brought in with him who owed 10,000 bags of gold. Now, if you look at the money figure they use in this passage, this man owes so much, he could never repay it in a lifetime. That's how much he owes. This debt is impossibly huge. There's, it's, there's no way he'll ever pay it back. 10,000 bags of gold. 
Since he was not able to pay it, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, which in that day would have meant, I'm sell all your stuff and sell your family, all of you, into slavery. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and begged, please be patient with me. I will pay back everything. He couldn't. The servant's master, though, listened and took pity on him and canceled his debt. All of it. And he let him go. And then this servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. That's about a week's worth of wages. He grabbed him by the neck and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, Be patient with me, please. I will pay back everything. But he refused to listen. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. So when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master about it. And the master called the servant in and he said, You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt you owed because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, the master handed him over to the jailers and he was tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from the heart. I don't think it's ever possible to improve on Jesus' parables because they're just so clear. And this one seems obvious. When we think about how much we have been forgiven... there should be no limit to our forgiveness of others. It seems crazy if we who have been forgiven so much would ever be unforgiving. It's crazy. We are free from condemnation and freely forgiven and that frees us up to forgive. And Paul talks a lot about this to the church which tells me that it was really important And it also tells me that maybe they had trouble getting it too. There's like a lot of, yeah, but I don't know how to be that free with my forgiveness. Listen to what he said to the church in Ephesus. This is just the way he began his letter to them. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonships through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. I love that word. God is lavishing every good gift on us. He's lavishing forgiveness and grace and sonship and blamelessness and redemption. He's lavishing these good gifts on us. He's saying we are free from condemnation in Jesus. Since we are free from condemnation and freely forgiven, we are free to forgive others. 
So if we put a sign out here on the corner that said, no condemnation, I think that it would maybe cause a, a double take from some people. But I think the average person who drives by and read that would perhaps be just a little bit confused. Because the Christian church in general seems to be pretty quick to judge and pretty good at condemning a lot of things. I mean, that's the PR that we have out there now about the church, about people who follow Jesus. They're judgmental. They're going to condemn me. I think the thinking person who read the sign, no condemnation at, 11.30, at 8.30 and 11, would go, I, let me see the fine print on that. How does this work? No condemnation of good people? No condemnation for the insider? No judgment, forgiveness for those who are good at covering up their problems or good at not admitting them? No condemnation for the already cleaned up once you get your life straightened around? Is the church really a judgment-free zone for people who admit their sins? Is there really freedom? Would we clap if somebody came in here and confessed their sins before us? So Alan and I meet. um, Most Tuesdays we get together for a, a time that's not really about any business except we do some Bible study and prayer together. And one of our practices that we've been working on now for a couple of years is uh, to do a regular practice of confession. So we say stuff about what we're wrestling with to each other. And my confession to Alan this past Tuesday was, I've been worried. Uh, and I've actually been worried a lot, so I'm confessing it to you also. Hi, my name is Kent, and I'm a worrier. I've actually been waking up at night in the middle of the night, anxious and fretting and stewing on things. And that's not my normal thing. That's new for me. And one response that Alan could have offered me after I made this confession of anxiety is he could have given me a little scolding. He could have said, you know, fret not. He could have quoted some verses at me. Do not be anxious about anything. There's lots of scripture about anxiety could have offered me some scolding with a little judgment thrown in, maybe a lecture about the root of worry. You know what the root of worry is, really? The root of worry is I don't trust God because I think I've got a plan and I think I know the plan. I think I know how that plan's going to work out and I'm pretty sure it's not going to work out that way. So I start to worry. So the root of worry is really pride or a lack of humility. <laughs> I think I know better than God. And I'm, in my anxious time, I'm actually telling God how I think God should do it. That's how my worry plays out anyway. That could have been a response Alan gave me, but I'm thankful he, doesn't, he does not usually respond this way. He actually responds it's not as a judger or a condemner. I'm actually better at beating myself up. I do that. And I quoted myself some Bible verses like, cast all your cares on me and fret not ye of little faith. That was one that was in my head too. Alan didn't do any of that. Instead, Alan felt free to offer me the gospel. So the words that Alan shared with me on Tuesday were Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. That's the words he shared with me. So instead of wagging his finger in my face and scolding me, 
you know what those words felt like. They felt like really strong arms that were coming to wrap me up and keep me safe. And you know what those words did? Those words actually made me worry less. So I've had less worry because I got to hear the gospel on Tuesday. And I've been trusting in Jesus more and resting more. And this is actually how the Bible talks about freedom in Jesus a lot. Without Jesus, we do not have a choice about obeying. We don't have a choice about sinning. The Bible says that we are slaves to sin. That's how we are before Jesus. The sin is the master over us. We have to. We can't stop sinning without Jesus. But in Jesus, we're told, we become slaves to righteousness. We have a new identity. We're made new. We're made new creations. We're given a new identity. And now, in Jesus, we have the opportunity to obey. We have the freedom to obey. That's what we get. That's one of the blessings that comes with Jesus living in us. We're free from the curse of the law, free from the consequences of sin, free from condemnation. We're freely forgiven, and we're free to obey. That's part of the transformation that works in us. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit then empowers us and allows us to be able to follow and do what Christ calls us to do. In Jesus, we have freedom to obey because we're no longer slaves to sin. Just listen to one passage from Romans 6 that talks about this. This is Paul's response to this good news, Romans six seventeen. Thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin... You have come to obey from your heart. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slaves not the master. The sin's not the master anymore. Jesus is the master. And this allows us to obey. So in Jesus, we're free from condemnation. We're freely forgiven, and that makes us free to forgive, and we're free to obey. And I really wanted to dig into this freedom to obey a whole lot more, but I got to Friday afternoon and I was working on finishing this up, and I realized I had two sermons. And I didn't think you'd put up with a second sermon this morning, so I actually need to talk about this at some other time. But I want to wrap up by asking us to think about the freedom we have in Jesus as we think about coming to the Lord's table. It's at this table that we are reminded in a really concrete way about the freedom that we have. So every month we come here and we focus on three things. We focus on remembrance and communion and hope. That's what we focus at when we come to this table. And I think we're interested in transforming the corridors. Does that, is that, first of all, I'm curious. Does that sound like a good idea to anybody else? To see the corridor transformed? Would that be good? Okay. You're nodding. I know you're not hand raisers, so nod's good. Transforming the corridor starts with transforming us. And that starts with remembrance, communion, and hope. When we come to this table, we come to remember how much God was willing to pay to set us free. That He sent His Son, and His Son really did die, and His body was broken, and His blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven. And we remember that as we partake of the bread and the cup. We also have communion at the table. And communion is about abiding. It's about the way we were made and shaped to belong 
And in the same way that a branch abides in a vine and draws life from that, so when we come to this table, we abide in Jesus, and that sets us free. And the third thing that happens at this table is we have hope. Because we know you get a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, but that is just a pledge or a foretaste of a feast, a great feast one day when we sit down at a banquet table with Jesus and everything is made right. These things shape us so that we can obey. We see Jesus as the perfect representation of God Perfect love, perfect mercy, perfect grace, perfect compassion. He shines his light in the darkness. He sets us free from the things that enslaves us. He helps, he puts a new heart in us, turns our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And one of the things I wrestle with sometimes, and the table helps me, I wrestle with the question, is God mad at me? Sometimes when I have sinned, and done the same sin again and again and again? Is God mad at me? When I come to the table, I think, would God have paid this, this price if he was mad at me? He loves me, and this is why he sent Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself said this is the reason why he came. He said, In Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to declare the Lord's favor. God is pleased with us in Jesus because in Jesus there's no condemnation. So I heard a testimony this week of a woman who was a rebellious teenager. Her story was that she got off the rails and by the time she was 15, she stole a car and she got caught and she was arrested and taken to juvenile detention. And while she was there, sitting in her cell, a woman from the church came to visit her. And the woman walked in, and as soon as this girl saw this woman, she thought, now I'm going to hear it. Now I'm going to hear it. She fully expected to get the riot act. Instead, this is what the woman did. She came into her cell. She walked right up to her and gave her a big hug and pulled her in really close, and she whispered in her ear, I love you. And she also gave her a phone number to a lawyer. And this woman told the story that this moment changed her. And she actually had another experience just a short time later in which she saw Jesus coming into her cell. And Jesus walked right up to her and hugged her and pulled her in really close and whispered, I love you. And she gave her life to Christ. And this rebellious teenager became a pastor. And I love these stories. I'm sure you do too. I love these stories. We applaud them. Yeah. 
But what about the rebel that we have hugged and we've pulled them in close and we've told them we love them and they're still rebelling? Those stories are a lot harder. Is it possible for us to be too forgiving? I don't think it is, and the reason I don't think it is is because of what we talk about at this table. So I'd like you to come there with me for a moment. As we prepare for that, I'd like to invite you to join me in a prayer. Lord God, we come to you today, and we thank you for meeting us here in this space, and we thank you for this great opportunity to celebrate the gift that you've given to us, the gift of freedom, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of your love lavished upon us, God, before we come to receive these elements, we want to do a little examination of our own hearts. And God, I, I know I need to confess, as do all of us, the places where we have not trusted you. We have all been little rebels and not followed you in the way that we should. So we take a moment now, and I just invite you all to confess. God, we confess that we are sinners. And we stand on your promise, which says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from every unrighteousness. Thank you, God, for no condemnation in Jesus. And we know, God, that we don't come to this table because we're perfect people. We come because we've been made perfect in Christ. And as you have drawn the grains from many fields to make one loaf, and you've drawn the grapes from many vines to make one cup, so you have drawn us from many places, and yet you make us one people in Christ. So we come together to celebrate the freedom that you've given us in Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. On the last night when Christ was with his disciples, he blessed the bread and broke it, and he said to them, we're going to institute a new thing, a new covenant. My body broken for you, as often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. In a similar way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he said, this is a new covenant of my blood poured out for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And this morning, I'd like you to think and and reflect upon the freedom that we have in Christ because of his body broken and his blood shed. The invitation is this. If you've come to the point in your life where you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've trusted in him for forgiveness, we'd like to invite you to participate in this meal. We're going to pass the bread first and ask everyone to take and hold it till everyone's been served, then we'll eat it together. The, the, in the center of each tray are gluten-free items if you need to use those. And after we've eaten the bread, then we'll share in the cup in the same manner. So I'd like to invite the elders to come forward now, for all things are now ready.
Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, as often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me.
through Jesus Christ, the spirit that sets us, that gives life, sets us free from the law of sin and death. And Jesus said, as often as you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. God, we bow before you with hearts that are filled with gratitude today. We're so thankful, God, that you do a renewing work in us, that you make us new people, new creations, that you give new identity. We thank you, God, that you have removed our sins from us so that as far as the east is from the west and as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far have you removed all of our sins. So we are, are truly free. We thank you for bringing us to this point, to feeding us at this table, allowing us to be a community together of faith in you. And we ask that you'll just continue the good work that you've started in us until one day it will be completed just as you promised. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.